Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy30 and enter BrainCandy30. That's me getting warmed up for karaoke tonight. <laughs> yes, we're recording oh, on karaoke day, which is really a brain candy meetup. And I was thinking about this. This is our very first self-run uh, um, mm. meetup yeah. that we've ever done. Yeah. We've only ever gone to things that you know we were like guests at. It's pretty casual. Yeah, but there's know? a lot of people coming. How do you know? Because... Even friends of friends of mine have texted me and been like, "What's the plan for tonight? Oh God, where, where, when are we meeting?" Did they RSVP? I don't think so. Christ, this is going to be a wreck. Okay, well, you will have already known that, you listeners, <laughs> because we will have instances storied it. This is episode two forty two, and it is now August in your world. I know. This summer went by way the too fast. The winds of change are blowing. <laughs> Here's the deal. I'm still going to be in a swimsuit like three days of the week. Yeah. Right. It's August. And I know. It's summer all year round. Isn't that if, the hottest month, technically? Oh, I, I, God, I hope it can't. It, I don't I can't, like, it could get any hotter. <laughs> right. We're sweating our bees I'm off dying. over here. Um, how are you? I'm doing so well, Suze. Guess what I did last night? Made sweet love. Uh, that, I kind of like did the opposite of that, actually. What is, what is the opposite of making sweet love? Went by myself to see the Mr. Rogers documentary. Oh, <laughs> that nice. That would kind of be the opposite of making love. Yeah, although he made a lot of love. Love. In the world. Yes. Yeah. It was... Have you seen it? No. It was so magical. Yeah. I need to see it again. Yeah. I, like, I'm okay going today. To, like. Yeah, he's special. It was so beautiful, and I learned so many amazing things. And it was so sad that he felt he really felt like he he didn't really believe that he had the impact that he had. Why? Can you believe that one? No. It's the saddest thing when you you know hear Why? him later in life, and he just says he like, felt like it wasn't enough. Yeah, it's like the end lo- of Drop Schindler's the List. It's like that where the guy was like, "I could have done more." <sighs> it's. I think it's. I think he even thought that it was just. Yeah, you know, he, he, he was called, um, even when he was really old, right before he passed away, he, uh, when nine 11 happened, PBS brought him in to do some PSAs sure. and talk about it. Yeah. And you can just see the look on his face and the, like the interviews that he does or the, the tape of him. He just looks so sad and he says like, this is too big. And I don't think it even matters. Like, will people even care that I do this? Aww. And in my mind I was going, yes, Mr. Rogers, we care. We need you. Yeah. He was like freaking I know, an, an angel, angel on earth. He a hundred percent. Yeah. He really was. And that's why I always say how it was such an honor to even work in his studios because, I mean, what a guy. Changed children's education. He changed yep. television. Yeah. 
Um, and I didn't know that he hung out with all the psychiatrists and the psychologists that yeah. are, I know and that I, well, I mean, not personally, but obviously, but have study and I'm so into and like are the ones who literally like wrote the books on this stuff. Yeah. And he was part of that circle. And what he, he didn't really think that people understood what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and how important it was what he was doing, but they did. And yeah. we did. Maybe they didn't at the time, but. Yeah. We all do now, I think. We look back and are like, yeah. oh my God, you're amazing. And I just, I'm like, oh, when I have kids, I'm just going to put Mr. Rogers on just all the time. It'll just yeah. like play nonstop. Well, in the Daniel Tiger series, which is, you know, based on his methods, is very great. And Lincoln Wait, what loved is that? it. It's a cartoon version of the the neighborhood yeah. of Make Believe. And um, Daniel Tiger, who yeah. was on the original yes. show as a puppet, he's embodied as a cartoon. And it has the same approach, the same pace, oh, I love it. the same um, issues that are tackled, and Lincoln loved it. Oh, my God, my dad's calling. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I had to push pause. I had an important phone call. We did. We were probably still gushing about Fred. Oh, gosh. And his magic. Suze, I ugly cried the whole movie. I was wondering, because people say that. Like 20 seconds in, I started. And then 20 seconds in, I realized that my seat choice was the worst because I was in the very front where I felt like everybody behind me could see me sobbing. Yeah. And I would have, I should have like been in the very back corner and I even prepped. I came with loads (laughs) of tissues. That's so smart. And I still ran out. Can you, can you imagine what would happen if you watched it on an airplane? Oh my God! Stop it! Stop Nightmare it! Nightmare City. I don't know. I would. I don't know. I. W- I don't know if I could ever stop crying. I woke up this morning with puffy eyes. You know when you cry so much because I went and saw a late night yeah. showing of it. Yeah. And you know, and I. Tr- I tried to get Landon to come with me, and you know, at first he was like, "Yeah, I'll go with you." All you know, and then I told him I was going to ugly cry the whole time. And he's like, hey, uh, so some people are playing tennis tonight. Do you think no. I can go play tennis? I'm like, yes, you can go play tennis. He's just like there by himself playing tennis with one of those machines. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like whatever that's, it takes. I can't so do funny. it. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, well, yeah. I'm glad you saw it. I hope to see it Oh, someday. man. Yeah, we should definitely uh, like watch it at any time. We just You're, you're going to want to see it more than once. Yeah. We could watch it together. And then I felt like I didn't really get to sob you want to let it out. I want to let it out. Yeah. I even left the movie and felt like I, I couldn't take a deep breath. Like, you know, when you're like holding the crying and oh you're like kind of, I needed to really just let it out. But Was you know. it a sadness? It, no, it wasn't a sad. It was, oh, it was more like a deep understanding for the human condition. And I felt like so much of his um, uh, philosophies are ones that I also yeah. hold, you know, that, that everyone is special and everyone does have it. And it really like lines up with my theoretical model of choice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just like, I can be a better therapist if I really watch this movie and study it. Wow. I know it. And not even to kids, to adults. Right. Because we're all kids, really. Really. And that's all we need is we need to, to, and if we can care for the little kid inside of us, the adult can thrive. Yeah. That's real hard. It's, the most difficult thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I, it's like, I go over this with all my clients. I say, you know, if you had a seven-year-old version of yourself, do you think the seven-year-old would be, you know, would they be 
thirsty? Would they be hungry? Are they mm-hmm. tired? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and basic. all of them are like, yes. That's <laughs> yes, totally, totally true. Oh, well, I mean, if they are hungry, though, there is a solution. <laughs> what do we got? HelloFresh, baby. Oh, my gosh. Thank God for HelloFresh. Thank God. Changed my life. Our, uh, our listener, Stevie, said changed hers, too. That's great. Yeah, because... It's so convenient and it does introduce you to new um, ingredients and recipes and it makes you excited. Like, ooh, what do we have in tonight? We've turned it into a verb in our house. Oh. Are we hella fresh in tonight? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're hella fresh in. <laughs> right. But it's so simple and convenient and it's nice because you're cooking the meals. So it's not like passive. You're right. actively involved, but you don't have to do all the boring chore part of it. And Landon's always like, save that recipe. Yeah. Because we can use that those same ingredients and we can make that on when right. we, you know. Right. It comes in these really nice labeled meal kits. So it's like very organized. The recipes take about 30 minutes each and um, you can subscribe and they deliver it to your door and you can make your choice between their various um, meal options and sizes and things like that. And our listeners get a deal for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy30 and enter promo code BrainCandy30. I mean, go ahead and try it. Change Sarah's life. Yeah, it's great. And her husband's like getting involved too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Okay. Guys, I have to say, Susie, you're giving me real, um, uh, what is that? Sailor Moon vibes. Today. What's that? Sailor Moon was this cartoon from the, it's like an anime cartoon where she had these cute little oh. pigtail, <laughs> Susie's rocking these little pigtail buns. Well, <laughs> given all the Sailor Moon feels. I uh, posted a throwback and did you see, it was from the Inferno 3 and I had those, you know, mm-hmm, bad hairdo mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and most people were like, oh, it's so cute, whatever. And then one girl was like, your hair always annoyed me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> And she goes, your hair, but she goes, but I'm sure you've changed. And then I wrote, well, LOL, that's kind of mean, but guess what? I haven't changed. (laughs) Um, but I don't think she really meant it mean, but I put them up like this because tonight for karaoke, I was like, I want to take them down and be like, oh, oh, (laughs) yes, it won't work. But that was my vision. I have been thinking so much about funny (laughs) karaoke things that I could do. Like I was like. This would be hilarious, but maybe it would annoy people because I'm like thinking about funny song choices. Yeah. What if I just did the song Tequila? (laughs) (laughs) Or Wipeout. (laughs) Right. People might like it. That's all I would do. It's just that like three times. (laughs) Is that the song song that's called Land of a Thousand Dances? Yeah, I think it is. Is that the Pee Wee Herman song? Oh, I think I think that's the, I think the it name is, of it. Yeah, which is weird. It should. Be I was li- I was listening to it on the way here, and I was like, "That would be- you were not." Yes, I was. I was listening to the fifties station. Oh my god, that's such a good choice. It's so good. The fifty because I was like, "What direction do I want to go?" I'm I'm like playing around. I could do nineties hip hop. Yeah, I can do two uh, thousands country, or I can do fifties. Mm-hmm. You know, pop, pop, right? Yeah, I can't believe that was from the fifties. That song, I, I know, I thought so too. And I was like, oh, I can imagine those really people lasting. getting like, like, yeah. When there are no lyrics, it can really with it's like classical. Yeah, and, <laughs> it's like classical. It just can't hold up. I was what I was uh, listening to the radio the other day, and and I would always listen to K Earth One Hundred and One. It was yeah. like the oldie station, sure. 
Except that now it plays 90s music. And I was like, oh my God. Right. The tunes of my childhood. Like what? MC Hammer? What was on there? Oh, uh, there was some Madonna. <laughs> Why would I say MC Hammer? Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're playing, right? Yeah. Totally. What? Uh, wh- Spice wait, Girls? No, now I'm trying to think of what MC Hammer's big song is. What, how, Can't help touch me. this. Oh, right. Okay. I was, that uh, might be I was, good I was distracted by his parachute pants. <laughs> we all were. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the '90s doesn't seem like oldies, but I guess it is. I can't believe that. I'm like, wow, that hurts. I'm gonna switch gears. Switch them. Um, let's talk about this guy that's like a turtle scientist. Oh, and he mm. won an award recently for his excellent turtle findings. Is this the same guy who's tickling them with vibrators? You know what? It might be. I- because what 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 if it is oh my god i'm so excited right apparently now. <laughs> he, when he does his presentations you know like the okay. powerpoint okay. things uh-huh. at conferences familiar he has like basically hooters girls holding the turtles stop it like giant tits everywhere Wh- what and like f- there's other scholars in the room at first were like <gasps> Well, that's weird, but like, you know, you don't want to judge, but he got this reputation. And then at this ceremony where he got the award, he did a presentation, just tits everywhere, everywhere. What? And and the weird thing is, is we're not really selling anything here. Like I get it. If there was something that we're trying to sell or like, yeah, you need people to be on board or he just wanted to. Drive the message think, home with a good pair of tits. I think it, you know, was his fetish yeah, of I like showing is. the tits and the turtles. What? Like it must really get him excited. Do you think? Okay, question. Right. So many. By the way, they took the award away. <gasps> oh, because they were like, what "This the is f- fucking weird." Yeah. Okay. Linda was outraged. Oh my god, this is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Because then it's like. Oh, Hmm. Here's my question. Does the tur- <laughs> does he need the turtles? <laughs> you mean for the research? <laughs> well, I understand for the research. But I mean for like, like sexual pleasure. Oh, good good question. Are the are is it, it, it the y- combo? Yes. Right. That is something they did not because they it's not as if they're asking him, uh-huh. they're just saying, This is inappropriate, sir, and so uh-huh. we're taking your award back. This is definitely the vibrator turtle guy. There's no way that it isn't. If it isn't the vibrator turtle guy, then the then turtle scholars are real, real kinky. fucking weirdos. <laughs> yes, that is totally true. If that is the, if that is not the case, why then there are some it, weirdos in the turtle department. What is your theory on why, if mm-hmm. the turtle scholar community is kinky, uh-huh. why that might be? Oh, maybe the turtle serves as some sort of metaphor. It's got to be like you're soft on it's the inside hard. and you're going into your hard shell <laughs> and it's like safe and secure in there. And I was just thinking like hard, like oh, erection. Oh, I was thinking more like they themselves are the turtles. Cause like and the head like, pops out. Oh, I see. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. was going more literal. Uh-huh. Yours is more of like, you know, mm, you know, like a <laughs> <laughs> metaphor. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, this guy has been, I gotta know now reprimanded because people would leave the talk and be like, 
I'm here to see turtles. We aren't here to see tatas. <laughs> like, then it makes me think, like, does he make, does he involve the, because something weird, ha- so now he's involved the ladies in his turtle business. Does he involve the turtles in his lady business is my question. What do you, oh, right. <laughs> right behind closed doors. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if this is what he's doing out in public. Ew, what, what, ew. My <laughs> mind goes so many weird places. He better not be sticking anything in any turtle holes. Right. But I bet he is because this guy does not seem like That's he's got weird. himself under well, control. Well, good. Okay. I mean, not good. They did that. But good. We took his word away. And I love that it made the news. <laughs> like that's the good part about twenty four hour news cycles is that like they need stuff all the time. That would have slipped through the cracks <laughs> in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, where, that is good. You know, we just look, that doesn't we that's not important enough, but now we're like, let's hear more about this kinky turtle scientist. <laughs> Do we oh yeah, yep. I'm gonna definitely be doing some uh, follow up research on him. Right. We'll get to the bottom <laughs> of it. Um did you hear or did you see the article that was out? Okay, you've heard this phenomenon. Like, how often do you wash your jeans? Oh. Are you one of those people that, like, rarely... Yeah, kind of. It depends okay. on which pair they are. If they're yeah. nice want jeans, then I feel like for some reason the material... It's whatever the, uh, the you know, if they're, like, 20% spandex or whatever, those real stretchy ones, then you can't... Then you can't wait, or I you can't- do, yeah, I can wash them more frequently. Yeah, because like for some reason they don't stay as clean, or like I feel like jean regular like raw denim stays clean for a long time or doesn't hold a smell. Am I wrong about this? Are they no. gross? Do I, I need to be washing these more often? <laughs> well, like I once read an article that Ralph Lauren uh, never washes his jeans. That's his policy. Well, he probably has jeans that smell like balls. Or, like, he just gets a new pair constantly. Oh, that also could but be But he did say, like, he's had pairs for years and years, and he won't wash them because he thinks it compromises the integrity of the denim. Oh, my God. But, you know, I do know, like, most people are somewhere in the middle, and they'll, like, go as long as they can. Yeah. Adam's like that. I'll just eventually be like, you have to wash You those. have to. I can see the crap on them. Oh. Um, but there was an article in Elle magazine about... People who believe that instead of washing them, you should put them in the freezer. I've heard this. Okay. Okay. There was also a guy who was on some show about being super cheap where he didn't wash his clothes. Oh, okay. He put all of them in the freezer and then just recycled the bags because he said like the the low temperatures kill the bacteria. That's is there this, any truth to this? This is what this I want to know. This crazy to me. That's what the article was saying, that if you put your jeans in the freezer overnight, you don't even need a bag, it said. Just put them in there. But then, then like, right, freezer burn. <laughs> but they, that temperature will kill most, not all, but most of the bacteria that will make it, them smell. Okay. And so that problem is solved. Oh, so like, wait. Hmm. Okay, right. This makes me wonder. So like, smell... What? It's just like bacteria, like we learned about the thrift store, right. where it's just like all the stuff from your body that... They kept using the word sloughs off, you oh know? God. That's <laughs> like, a really I know. gross <laughs> word. That's why I remember it, because I kept like uh, shuddering yeah, at this thought. It, it makes me feel icky. Where your skin flakes like yep. slough okay, off. Okay, but see, there's actual stuff there. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Oh, right. Because when I take a bath, <laughs> and you look at the water in there... There's no, you can't just shove that stuff in a freezer 
<laughs> there does seem and to be like... And the water is going to run clean. There needs to be a scraping. Yes. And then a rinsing of the stuff. Which... Like, just like it goes down the drain in the bathtub, we need to like... It's almost like they should make a machine that would handle this. <laughs> Because that's what, when you work through it, it's like, wait a minute, I think we've handled this problem. And I don't notice that genes are deteriorate that fast. The only thing I'm thinking of now is the waistband for me. And you are like, you know, weigh 80 pounds soaking wet, so you don't have this problem as much. But I always get, it's like the waistband folds in half. Mm. They're, you know... Right, I see what you're saying. And it and that takes a lot of wear, but so you're saying washing makes that worse? Well, yeah, washing makes it so that the waistband isn't as stiff. Oh. And it ha- it it like yours jeans that you're wearing right now. See how that waistband's nice and stiff and it's like flat there yeah. throughout the day because, you know, I got a little tummy pushing on the Well, the difference thing. too is I wear high-waisted. So there's not when you wear yeah. lower pants then yeah. there's more uh, Yeah. Belly yeah, fat yeah. that will hang on. Well, over. I need them mine to come up right underneath my boobs. Yeah, then. get some mom jeans yeah. because <laughs> so they're great. Everything in. <laughs> That's why moms wear them. Yeah. <laughs> but I oh, get what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So it's like the, it, it it changes this this. I think rank if a the... turtle scientist is like available now, uh huh, like he probably he should switch foci mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> away from turtles and move towards jeans and freezers because nobody is like really telling me how much bacteria. And then also he can just be around girls and Daisy Dukes and nobody will ask any questions. <laughs> it really does check a lot of the boxes. He that- needs to change careers. Yeah. The turtle was a mistake. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. I'm glad we worked that out. Hold on. Let's... Where is the freaking news stinger? No, Adam just fixed it and sa- I heard it. I mean, do, 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 do. Got it. This just in machine washing machines are necessary. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, the, another thing that's necessary, which I learned uh, for sure, because before it was just in theory and now it's for sure, what? is how we were talking about how you never know what's wrong with your car. Yeah. Did you did you find something out? Well, my nanny, she had a problem because her battery died or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But oh, you I know how you that. go in yeah. and then they're like, yeah, you need a new battery. Mm-hmm. But you're like, wait, maybe I just mm-hmm. need a charge right. or whatever. And so I, she got a new battery because she didn't have a fixed um device at the Mm -hmm. time, but now I'm buying her one Mm. and, um, she'll be able to know because there was this, we had a moment she and I were, she was like, I don't know if I need a new battery, but they have all the knowledge. Right. They hold all the power and you have nothing. And that's why fix is so cool because this little thing plugs right into your car, like underneath where your steering wheel is. If your car is made after 1996 and it'll connect with your phone and it'll let you know what really is wrong with Mm. your car. Like if it is of just a battery that's dead and needs a charge or if it needs a completely new battery or what's wrong with the engine or whatever it is, all those lights that mean nothing, that'll actually tell you what truly needs to be done and it'll give you an estimate of like how much it would cost. That's such a good... It's so great. I got my mom one. there and you're like, this should cost me this much. And buzz off. Don't take me for a ride. 
I am empowered. That's what I love about yes. it. Got to be smarter than your mechanic. Uh, uh-huh. I got one for my mom as well, and um, I guarantee you she will need that. Mm-hmm. We should see her vehicle. <laughs> uh, right now, you can get fixed for as low as $39 each. Plus, my listeners will get an additional 10% off when you enter promo code BRAIN at listentomycar.com. Go to listentomycar.com and enter promo code BRAIN for an additional 10% off the already discounted price. Mm. I love deals. Lovely. Especially for things that then could save you money. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Oh my God, that's so good. Okay. Planning ahead. Um, I read about um, a company I had never heard of called WeWork. Let me see. Yeah, WeWork. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. It's. I think it's a tech company, okay. and they've instituted this new policy where they're not going to reimburse employee meals that include. Uh, they won't reimburse for meat, and their reasoning was that it's bad for the environment, and like they're going to put their foot down about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. First of all, what are your thoughts? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I mean, I'm just bringing on you. It's not like you have to have a well-crafted opinion I have questions. Here. Okay. Is this a company where they provide, like they have a cafeteria where they serve lunch? Yeah. They're, they put fish there. Okay. But no meat. Okay. But the problem is a lot of people do what Landon does, which yeah. is like take people have, out for meals. Okay. No, I think that's dumb. It's super dumb. Yeah. Because if, if we're like, you're... you're that's the culture there. And it's like, I get one thing. If it's yeah, your cafeteria, serve whatever you want. But if you're taking out clients, you don't know what the dietary restrictions of other people are. What if you're with somebody who, ha- I don't know, is anemic and needs to eat red meat? I don't know. Whatever. There's got to be reasons for sure health choices for everybody. Yeah. And nobody should ever be the one who dictates what another person's health decisions well, especially are. Because then what it really will amount to is the employee will have to pay for someone's meal without oh, getting yeah. reimbursed for it. And so you're just penalizing your and employees. And also imagine how bad, like say you are in a position where you're in sales. Could you, wouldn't that be an odd oh, yeah. thing? Yeah. And you, you can't get the thing you really want. Because, yeah. Right. Because you're like, I, what if you don't have the money to pay out of pocket for that? That's, there's a lot of assumptions being made and like, I don't like that. The other thing now is I'm angry. that they will cover eggs which have a worse impact on the environment than oh, gosh. lamb, which they won't oh. pay for. So they won't pay for lamb, yeah. but they will pay for eggs. Yeah. And so my feeling is if it really were about the environment, right. then you wouldn't have a policy yeah. that would be uh-huh. like that. Yeah. And I would imagine that there are maybe other f- vegetables even that are fa- like, I don't know. I agree. In general, it's like if you make a sweeping yes. rule, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, 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 then you probably don't actually accomplish what your intention was, which yeah. is a noble intention. Right. You save the earth, but like, it's just I hate when these companies like I've got it. Do you feel that same way about the new straw policies? Well, I know I did just read about how it's not inclusive for people with disabilities. Like if you eliminate them from your restaurant, some people with disabilities require a straw. Absolutely. And also I read that 50% of the plastic in the oceans come from nets, from the plastic fishing nets. And it is 
Of course, it's important. I mean, like, hello, who, nobody, nobody's a bigger fan. Nobody's of a bigger policy. fan. Yeah, I love the straw policy, but we also need to, you know, be like doing the big things too. This is what I always say about letter of the law versus spirit yeah. of the law. Like, if the spirit of the law is we need to fix this problem, then what's the best way to do fix that? Fix the problem, mm-hmm. right? And it's like all those, you know, the people who were. The other day I was walking down the street and taking the dog for a walk. Oh my God. Two exciting things happened. One that I'm going to tell you right now. (laughs) And then one I'm going to tell you in a bit. So this one wasn't exciting, but this one I'm going to share. So I'm walking down the street and I see a, like trash, like somebody's just thrown trash out of their car and it's a menu for like a whole all organic, blah, blah, blah. It's like free range. And I was like, the irony, like this is somebody chucked this or somehow they like made the effort to go to a place that's like super healthy and whatever, but then contributed to just destroying our environment by somehow littering in some way where this didn't make it. I mean, even if their intention wasn't for it to go on the ground, there was some follow through that didn't like yeah. there wasn't follow through. Connect blah, blah, blah. the dots, ding bats. Other scary thing that happened or exciting thing that happened. Saw another rattlesnake, but I don't know if it was alive or dead. What? I know. It freaked me out and I ran across the street and I was not going to go back and look. So it was not rattling. It was not rattling and it wasn't coiled up, but it was kind of in like a weird circular shape and no. it was on the lawn and it was only 8.30 in the morning. It was not at your house. It was It was not at my house. It was like uh, three or three blocks away, a house that backs up to the mountains. What are you going to do? You need traps or something. I, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, oh my gosh. The, now we've seen two. Even if it were dead... I'm still not okay with that. Was it big? And it was on somebody's driveway. It was like... Oh my God, sunbathing? I bet that's what it was doing because they like the heat. It was 8.30 in the morning. And I'm like, this is not the right time. There's a guy on his riding mower outside. Did you say anything? And I think maybe that the snake... No, he was like, had his... This was a funny one. He was texting while using a riding mower. And I was like, I wonder if that... (laughs) Texting. Is that allowed? Because he was like driving down the middle of the street. He wasn't like mowing the lawn. He was like going to the next yard. Where do you live? That is, your whole neighborhood's gone mad. <laughs> you, you had like a guy on a tractor. Yeah. Riding down your yeah. street. Yes. Texting and yes. driving with headphones on. Yeah, and a snake a couple feet away. None of this is safe. <laughs> no. That's like danger, danger. This is all true. Oh my God. I'm just reporting the facts here, Susie. Wow, that's a lot to take on. What I saw. I told you it was an exciting trip. Whoa. I had stuff to tell, or exciting walk that I had exciting things to share from. I mean, your neighborhood is real weird. That, that's that why, is like, sure. when you hear people of color talk about, like, how weird white people are, oh, it's like, God. no shit. We yeah. really are. Yeah. Like, when I think about your neighborhood, I mean. <sighs> I got a, I got a, a, a doomsday prepper who I know is. <laughs> How do you know they're doing? Oh, I know. Have you seen the? Yes, and what not only that, it? when their garage door is open, they've got a like an armored vehicle thing in there. You have to I've, talk to them. Well, I mean, Landon has to because. Like, and has he said what's up with the dooms? No, no, not about that stuff. That's what I mean. The guy's got like samurai swords in his house, uh, everywhere. Like more than more than a de- just for decoration. Do you, is there evidence of a bunker? No. no, but there's bunker potential. What if they're just like doomsday preppers, but procrastinators? <laughs> <laughs> so they get all the Seuss, that's stuff. That's so funny. 
They just don't get around to making the bunker. That's great. But they're like hoarding stuff, which is like kind of part of it anyway. So they feel like they're... uh, It's like any episode of Hoarders where they're like, I bought all this yarn because I was going to make, you know, crafts for my kids. But then they never do. Well, I was organizing our garage right now and I had to have those talks to myself. What was in there? I was like, Sarah, you need to get rid of this. I've got... I just have a bunch of kids crafts. That I just keep. Oh my God. When you, we were at your party. Yeah. Oh my God. Sarah is so lovely and has this beautiful area she sets aside for the kids that come to her house for parties. And Parents it's like, love that section. No, I love it. It's yeah. great. But like I went up there at one point and there was nobody up there and it truly looked like oh, a yeah. bomb hit. It does look like that. But I already prepared for that. I already know that that's going to happen. I mean, when you work as a kindergarten art teacher... Yeah. And it's one of me and like 30 of them. I've seen it all. I don't get it. I've had I've had little girls. Oh my god, I had one little girl whose favorite thing was to color on herself and I couldn't get her to stop doing it. So she would yeah, and then she the would right show me. Preach about of that. course I'm not. Oh my god. That's exactly what she was doing. <laughs> right. I didn't what even if you're think like about that's that. not healthy. And she would come and she would show me. Oh my god, I never realized that, Suze. Huh. Of course you, and I really liked her. Like and we had like a little connection. Like, what do you have on your body? Oh Cherry. Look, I've got like naked chicks too. <laughs> <laughs> she comes out. She's got like boobs drawn. She on thought her. she was emulating your behavior. Oh my god, you totally just and you gave told me her how inappropriate that. it was. I mean, I just was like, we can't. We got oh my god, because you know, it was. It was everything, and she whatever we like, were using, she would just cover herself with it. How old would she be now? Oh. Probably third grade, fourth grade. Oh, okay. I thought she would be like a teenager. No. She probably has real tattoos. That would be fun though. Because I remember the first person who, yeah. whose tattoo I fell in love with and is the reason why I have tattoos today. Oh my God. And she's like a conservative mom who like lives in Texas. Does she know that she's responsible? Uh, I your... think so. Oh, okay. I think I've told her, but she's my camp counselor. What was her little, tattoo? She had little tiny angel wings right on where like the tramp stamp area should be this was like 1998 so and you thought it was hot 96 and i was like that is so cool super cool so cool i'm surprised you didn't get the exact thing Uh, yeah you know i don't know oh my god what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Um, We have a guest today. Woo! Sarah and I spoke oh with my gosh. I'm so excited. this author of Calm Clarity, and I should I should have had my notes out because I don't want to mispronounce her name. I think it's Zway Kwok, yes. but it's not spelled the way you would think, so I didn't want to mess it up. And the Calm Clarity is about how to use science to rewire your brain for greater wisdom, fulfillment, and joy. A Mind Hacker's Guide to Shifting into Brain 3.0. This is a bad bitch if I yeah, ever heard one. Yeah, she's super cool. She's the coolest. Yeah, she, uh, has had, she's gone through a lot. Yeah. And she I'd decided say. 
she was going to be an overcomer, which is really cool mm. when people take their pain or difficulties and are like, you know what? And not everyone can do that, but she's a talented person that had the toolkit. And so she took it and made this sort of approach to wellness and making your brain better that relies on science, but also uh, uses spirituality Mm -hmm. and meditative practices and things like that, which we know work. Yes. It's so good. It combines all the things that like get you straight through to. Yeah. I'm usually like, I love books that that try to teach you about happiness and Mm -hmm, stuff like mm -hmm. that, but I'm also like, okay, we get it. Cause we know what we should be doing. We just choose not to, cause it's like hard and stuff. But I really enjoyed this because she had that balance of science mm-hmm. and application. And then hearing her story and how oh, she did yeah. it was helpful too. Yeah. So Sarah and I spoke with her and it was really fun, but also helpful. And I think if you are a person who might need a little rewire of your brain, you should check out Calm Clarity. Let's welcome Zwei Kwok. Um, (laughs) first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. And also congratulations on your book, Calm Clarity. How are you feeling about it? Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and to speak with you and your audience. And yeah, I'm really loving the responses uh, to the book so far. I've received emails from people who have been struggling with trauma and other issues um, who find the book very beneficial. And I've even had psychiatrists write in to tell me they were recommending that their patients read the book. Oh my gosh, that must be, feel really good because writing a book like that is really can be isolating, I imagine. And you're sitting there alone with your ideas. And then when people read it, you think, I hope they like it. Well, you know, books like these, we only put the time in to write them because we know or we yeah. hope that there will be benefit to the millions of people out there who struggled the way I struggled until I learned the neuroscience to hack my brain. And um, there's just so many issues out there for people to deal with, Um, so much adversity, so many challenges, that to give people effective tools to handle that and to rebuild their brain so they can actually experience wisdom, fulfillment, and joy. I mean, that's the motivation behind my work with Calm Clarity as a social enterprise. So we've been running programs like these um, in person, starting in inner city high schools and then with first-generation college students from low-income backgrounds. And then with um, corporations and professionals in order to fund the social impact initiatives we do. And so it was only after running the program for almost three years that I got the book deal and then had to try to capture this in-person workshop, which is so interactive and so powerful, Mm. into a book, which is not easy, (laughs) not straightforward at all. Well, I you did a fantastic job and I read your book. Sarah hasn't, which I think is great because she can act like the audience who hasn't um, seen your and work. boy, oh boy, is this a book for me. Yeah, she can't wait to read I'm it. I'm so excited. I mean, I just opened up to a page and saw info about the vagus nerve and a <laughs> reference to Robert Sapolsky, who we've <laughs> talked about on here before. So I'm like, sold. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your sort of background and why you created these hacks for your own self to begin with. You know, there's a saying, you can get the girl out of the ghetto, but you can't get the ghetto out of the girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
And so that's basically me, right? I grew up in inner city Philadelphia. My parents and I escaped from Vietnam when I was just a tiny little baby. I was six months old. And you can imagine, because I think one of you, or both of you have children, right? Just me. Um, What it's like. Yeah. Okay, what it's like, you know, how fragile a six-month-old is and to take one on a boat and not know if you're going to live, not have enough food to survive more than a few days, and then be starving on that boat and then have to take that baby through a refugee camp for like almost two years, right? And the conditions are horrible. So my mom told me there was multiple times when she thought she lost me because I had all these different diseases. I had seizures. Um, You know, I was developmentally challenged. So at the normal time when kids are supposed to sit up, crawl, and walk, I wasn't doing that. But eventually I did. Now, but with talking, I didn't start talking until I was like five or six years old. And they just kind of thought maybe I was like... um, need special ed I would need to be cared for my whole life but luckily um you know I I wasn't that challenged in the sense that I think the Caesars had messed up my auditory um listening skills so I couldn't make out sounds as words and so it wasn't until I got special um like speech therapy and English as a second language that I could then begin to piece words together and then I learned how to talk after I learned how to read and so um Luckily, you know, I was willing to work hard, and so I had to read every book like two, three times with a dictionary to make sure I understood it. And because I was willing to do that, by like the end of third grade, I went from the bottom of the class to the top of the class. Right. And so I was gifted, which was lucky because there was just so much trauma in my family, Mm -hmm. even during the war in Vietnam, all the things my parents survived, their parents survived. So there was like a history of PTSD and addiction and self-medication in the family. And, um, you know, and we were resettled in inner city Philadelphia, which was violent. And we were surrounded by people who were, you know, riddled with um, addiction, substance abuse, trauma issues in their families as well. And it was not a time that welcomed refugees. And so so we were, um, like, always accosted with, like, racial slurs. We were told to go home. And um, my parents moved into this pretty beat-up neighborhood um, to take over a very old takeout restaurant that they could afford. And gangs started coming into the store and robbing people, beating each other up, fighting. Um, I remember one of our customers was shot in the head when I was in, oh like, middle God. school. Um, and so I basically just suppressed all of this because there were no tools to deal with it and I just focused on school as my escape Mm -hmm. and luckily as I said I was gifted so I actually graduated at the top of my high school and got accepted into Harvard College Um, and it was at Harvard that you know the the bill came due because being in that different environment and not having a social support network and being surrounded by peers from such affluent backgrounds you could not even fathom the background I came from um I mean mm. if I shared my story with people they would be so shocked and felt feel so guilty that the rest of the conversation was about managing their feelings right. and oh and, my god it was know, about them. yeah yeah I'm so sorry this is you had to hear this yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, so so unfortunately at Harvard, because I was socially isolated and I felt like psychologically tribeless because I didn't fit in there, neither did I belong at home. At, whenever I came home, my parents and friends would say, you've changed, you become uppity, who are you now? Mm-hmm. And so I had to figure out my identity. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all that, with all the stress of school and the perfectionism at Harvard, um, I couldn't keep up with my classmates. And I realized they just had so many more resources than I did. Yeah. I could not keep up, right? Mm-hmm. And there was no way I could comp- like compete with them for jobs or internships or fellowships because I just didn't have resources or a support system mm-hmm. and I got depressed and and I all these PTSD symptoms blew up like I dissociated I had panic attacks I couldn't mm-hmm. sleep through the night kept having nightmares of my parents being shot and killed I mean just horrible things would you know um, get uh, in the way of doing well at school and eventually I decided to become an art major because that was the cathartic and it actually was healing and it was therapeutic but it also allowed me to still do the homework and graduate because I got to the point where it was so hard to do problem sets for science classes or write papers and so I found a way to graduate with honors but my symptoms still got worse and so eventually I saw a psychiatrist at Harvard and I was still like had my wits together to not completely self-destruct but to decide if I was willing to self-destruct and I should at least investigate you know resources first. And luckily, he sat me down, had me walk through my life story. And he said to me, you know, um, you probably don't realize this, but all the trauma you experienced before you were two years old, plus, you know, compounded by what you experienced after then, impacted your brain development. And it's probably causing the symptoms you're feeling today. And I was like blown away because I had no idea things that happened before you had any conscious memory could have have such an impact Mm. on you. And it also um, was a huge relief because I realized I wasn't having these symptoms because I was weak. Mm. The fact that I was at Harvard was a demonstration of enormous resilience because so very few people with my background was like ever made it to Harvard, right? And so, but the challenge was that he didn't have a cure there was no guarantee that anything he offered could make me feel better. He basically said, you know, that was the 1990s. Um, the tr- treatment for trauma was very primitive. The understanding was very basic. And so he was like, well, you know, we could try different antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs. Um, you know, mm. we might have to cycle through them at different doses to find one that works for you. And you should try therapy. But the therapy, the therapists there were trained to treat trauma, of course. And, but the good thing was that he helped me to understand my brain and the effect of neurotransmitters, and the drugs helped me stabilize. And the therapy helped me realize that it was my own habits and patterns and belief systems that were causing these negative spirals. And I realized it was really up to me to break them. And I had a deadline because I didn't have health insurance growing up, and I was going to lose my coverage after I left Harvard. And so I couldn't continue drugs or therapy without insurance, right? Mm. I couldn't afford it. And so I knew there was a date for getting off everything. And by that point, my brain had to be healed so I wouldn't relapse. So I started going to the library, you know, and trying to research what was going on with me. And that's when I would say I became a a mind hacker because my goal was to understand how the brain worked, what I was doing that was making the brain worse, and what I could do to help my brain heal. And, you know... It, it's been a lifelong journey. Um, what I realized then led eventually to the Calm Clarity program, and it was realizing that none of us 
that throughout the day we have different things that trigger us. And overall, there seem to be three main patterns of brain activation that were associated with different types of emotional patterns and ways in which we think and make decisions and act as well. And so I noticed that in Brain 1.0, what I would call Brain 1.0 eventually, um, that's your self-preservation system, your fees, um, fight-flight system. Um, when that was triggered, this thing I called my inner Godzilla would come out and mm -hmm. I'd want to smash everything or just disappear completely the way Godzilla does. Mm -hmm. And and it usually like, led to burning bridges, F-bombing people. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't pretty. And, We've all been and, there. <laughs> You know, that was when the ghetto came out. And, <laughs> and, and, it, and I was like, wow, this is not my best self, but it just comes out on its own. And I become this totally monster of a person. I mean, if that's not relatable, other... I don't know what uh -huh. it is. We all have that person mm -hmm. inside of us. And it's all been exactly. triggered. We all learned it somewhere that was, probably wasn't good. Yes. And then I also saw this other persona related to what I call Brain 2.0, and it's this inner teen wolf. It's connected to the reward system. And every time everyone was chasing something, and I felt, oh, my God, I should be chasing this, too. I'm missing out. So it's that fear of missing out mm -hmm. that makes you compulsively jump through hoops to chase after whatever everyone else is going for. Mm -hmm. And you have no idea if you really want it, but you don't want to miss oh. it. Right? right? That was the state of anxiety I felt at Harvard constantly because I never knew what was happening. I was always 20 steps behind. And, um, you know, I just felt like I wasn't competing. But I had to compete because I, if I didn't keep up, you know, my self-esteem, my self-image, my worthiness was all at stake, right? Um, and you kind of value yourself based on your achievement as an overachiever. And that's something that I really realized at Harvard. It's like when I got into Breed 2.0, I gave my power away mm. to those hoops, to those rewards, to those carrots. And I didn't, I couldn't question whether those carrots really worth it unless I was in what I call brain 3.0 which I associate with this um, persona I call the inner sage when you're in brain 3.0 you have access to your full functioning um, brain capacity and you can see the bigger picture you can embody your core values and your aspirations you can be the highest expression of who you are and for some people that's being compassionate being kind being wise having a positive impact on others, being altruistic without expecting anything in return, right? Alleviating people's suffering because you see it happening and you don't want to add to it, right? And so um, I realized like that's the best version of me. But at Harvard, because the institution, the culture was so driven by Bring 2.0, it was so competitive. And, and I just... Uh, lost sight of being in Brain 3.0. Hmm. Um, and, and when you don't get those carrots, you fall into Brain 1.0. Mm -hmm. So when you get them, you feel great, but it's only temporary. All of these carrots that we chase, they only give us this temporary burst pleasure, and then you get desensitized. Your dopamine circuits get desensitized, and then you have to chase again. So here I was accumulating all these achievements, but feeling so depressed and and practically suicidal, right? And no one could understand that. But I realized it was because my brain was wired for anxiety and deprivation. Mm. It was a sense of being dissatisfied and having FOMO. And mm. and though it, it made me chase things and and um, I often got what I wanted, a lot of times I was just miserable. 
And so I needed to find a way to get into Brain 3.0 because that's when, like, I could feel stable, that I had a sense of purpose and meaning, and I had a sense of power over choice, what mattered to me. So I could say no to the rewards and carrots that people were chasing but didn't make sense to me. And I think that's how I really began to heal was realizing I couldn't follow the herd and I had to have the confidence to believe in this inner wisdom to to build my own path, to carve out, you know, a unique uh, a path for myself because I was so unlike most of my peers. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. One thing that I was so amazed by, number one, is that you took matters into your own hands. Like a lot of us could say that that same story more or less has happened to us, but we don't know how to fix it. And we're just like, oh, well, whereas you were like, I want to fix this. I'm going to empower myself and I'm going to figure it out. And then you did it and you applied two things that I love, science and what most people would call spirituality or mysticism or religion and took the stuff from those two camps and empowered yourself to get better. I think that's so cool. Thank you. I mean, it's been an incredible journey and I think it's important for everyone to understand that we can all be the author of our life story, right? We don't have to be limited by all the social script that we've inherited from our surroundings we can. I mean, we have the power to change our script. We just have to use it. Why do you and think many it's of us, the case that sometimes, like, I imagine in your line of work where you're teaching people these tools, you're giving them the things that could help them, but then sometimes they reject it and stay with where they are. Why do people do that? Well, most of the people um, we work with, we give them, we do the mind hacking and we help them experience Brain 3.0. And almost everybody goes, whoa, yeah. <laughs> that's the real me. Once they figure it out, go okay. back to that Brain 2.0 version of me or that Brain 1.0 version of me. And that's happened for inner city high school students, mm-hmm. um, college students, um, Wharton MBAs, uh, law students, lawyers, executives, you name it. I Most have that problem it. with every single one of my clients. Why? I mean, that they all ha- have this revert to the 1.0 or 2.0 and really long to be in this. But I think a lot of people don't even know that there is another version and you have to show them. And I really feel like everything that you're saying or like, like you said, these are the, the hacking tools that you can really, everybody has the capacity to do this. Well, what people have to realize is that the strongest neural circuits in your brain are not going to like go away overnight. You know, they're going to stay strong and the triggers are still going to trigger you, but you're going to build this uh, neural pathway or this part of the brain um, in in Brain 3.0 that allows you to have metacognition. Mm -hmm. So that's the awareness of your thinking process and the ability to regulate it. 
And so as you develop Brain 3.0, especially through meditation and mindfulness practices, those really like ramp up metacognitive abilities. Um, then you you have the ability to say or to notice like, oh, my God, I've been triggered. I am in Brain 1.0. Mm. Unless you can do that, like you don't know how to hit the brakes, right? So that you're in full inner Godzilla mode and you think mm. it's the right thing to do or you're in full inner Team Wolf mode and you believe all the stories generated by your monkey mind to justify <laughs> being in inner Team Wolf or inner Godzilla mode, Right. And it's only until you strengthen Brain 3.0 yes. to the point where you can hear your inner sage and recognize mm-hmm. it, that it can say, hey, wait up, this this is a story, this is a belief system, and it might not be true. Like, you need to question it before you take action. You need to look inward. And so once Brain 3.0 gets strong enough, you realize it's not about rejecting Brain 1.0 or Brain 2.0. It's about realizing that they are reflecting back to you mm. all of your entanglements and attachments. And once you can see that they can only be triggered because there's something inside you that gets triggered, right? It's not the other person's fault a lot of the times. it's They're showing you that there's something in you. There's a belief system that's completely out of date and not serving you. You can then release the pattern. And then the, the trigger gets weaker and weaker because you, you've seen the pattern and you realize the belief that's supporting it is, is false, right? Or is completely outdated is something you concocted as a child to keep you safe, but it's no longer serving you. And you start to see through um, what we call the inner critic, which is really a combination mm. of the inner team, yes. wolf, the inner Godzilla, where you really want a carrot or, or a reward, a social script, right? And you can't fulfill it. So then you beat yourself up for it. But in Brain 3.0, you're like, wait, you know, like that social script is kind of stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Making myself miserable for yeah. this script. It makes no sense. You see past and, the BS. Yeah. So, so I mean, the point with building the program is I realized my gift was that I had learned how to navigate a broken system without becoming a broken person. Mm. And that's a gift that we need to share. Yes. And so, um, so then, you know, I created this program to, and wrote this book to help other people navigate all of our broken systems and institutions without letting them break them right and then to become aware of and change their patterns how they give their power away and then be a positive force in their families and their communities one of the things that is exciting for me when i think about our listeners reading the book is before we were on the air sarah and i were complaining about how a lot of times when you read academic papers or medical studies Mm -hmm. the way that they're phrased can be too dense and too technical and so you get nothing out of it. What's so great about Calm Clarity is that you're providing the same valuable information but it's totally accessible and it's not overwhelming to people who don't have that background. So I was just wondering as an author if that was difficult or if it's just that's how you talk so it was easy for you to do. Well, writing a book is never easy. It's the most <laughs> miserable thing you can put They all say that. Uh, like the inner Godzilla kept taking over. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? Just stop. Right. 
<laughs> so no, it's, it's not easy to do things like that. But you know, it's my passion, and I love learning about the brain. So I'm enough of a brain geek to sit down and read these papers and try to make sense of them. Yeah. And of course, I'm not a PhD. I'm not trained in neuroscience as an academic. And I think that probably ends up being helps. a good thing because oh, uh-huh. I didn't get lost in the terminology and the language of the PhD ivory tower. And the whole point is to um, find out how to apply that information in my own life. And then because I'm applying in my own life, it becomes much easier to explain to other people what it means and what they can do about it. Um, And the reason we came up with the Brain 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 framework is because I was working in inner city schools. And I tried to explain the neuroscience using the long names for different parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. I lost the students. Their eyes would glaze over (laughs) and start snoring. I mean, like you could tell they were checking out. But once we, you know, use the simple language and the simple framework, the kids embraced it and they could immediately, even after a few, like a short 20 minute, you know, conversation, mm. they would be using that framework um, language to describe their lives, right? And, and how they could apply this in challenging uh, situations. So we had kids come in ready to fight each other in West Philadelphia. And then after five weeks of this pilot, um, and I only ran it like two hours a week, right? Um, the kids became peacemakers, mm-hmm. and they wrote about, like, how um, they can now help people, like, um, not fight in their families, and they've learned how to manage, like, being addicted to video games and other distractions mm-hmm. uh, to finally, like, focus on getting ready for college, right? Man, and you're and giving they were me chills. To... Me too. I'm going to, like, cry. This is just so beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, I did cry because, like, there was a a, a, a young man whose whose family became evicted and homeless during the course of the program, and and he wrote he was the one who said like I can now, um, you know, not get lost with my video game addictions, but mm. actually focus on what I need to do to improve my life. Mm. And there was a young woman whose father had died. And she couldn't live with her mom because she was HIV positive. So she had to live with her grandmother. And she was filled with rage and anger um, at the beginning of the program. And she wrote about how because of Calm Clarity, like she can now handle people talking about her father Mm. without blowing up. Wow. You're making days. I love that. That's a beautiful thing. Keep up the good work. That's all I know. It reminds me a lot of, of the... Uh, the ACE test, which we've talked about on our podcast, the adverse childhood experiences and like mm-hmm. how that affects the physical at so much. And like, that's just so many people have had those experiences, but it doesn't even register as a trauma because it becomes so normal that when we really become aware of like, what are these traumas and how are they affecting us? It's just a, such an important thing to do. And a lot of us like don't even know where it all comes from. Yeah, so I write about that in the book, and and I explore the trauma in my own family in order to help other people get comfortable looking at the trauma that might be in their family. Mm -hmm. We have one question that we ask everybody. Uh, If you have a car, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? Well, I don't have a car. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a backpack or a bag that you carry around a lot? Yeah, I do carry a bag around. Of course, I have my keys and you know what I I bring around? I have these um, blessings from the Calm Clarity um, uh, Compassion Meditation. And the cards say, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you be peaceful, may you be prosperous, may you live in harmony. So I usually keep those cards around to give people. 
Yeah, man, oh, I want to one of those. To give people, she says. That's, I was like, well, that's so great to like pull out your you. feeling. <laughs> and she's like, to give them to people. That's awesome. Okay, that's so great. I love that. See, that's a good thing to keep in your, whatever it is, trunk, bag, purse, yeah. whatever you got. That's so special. Well, we congratulate you on your book, and we are so happy that we got to talk to you. Now Sarah's going to steal I'm so excited. I'm copy. so excited to She's read gonna this. She's going to read it, and I know our listeners are going to read it too. So congratulations to you. Thank you, and it's been great connecting with you both. You're so much fun. Oh, my gosh. We're a laugh a minute over here, but we, we actually are stuck in Brain 2.0, so we got to work on going up to 3. Well, all of us are. Me too. <laughs> we'll have your book to thank if we ever get there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Have a good thank one. you. Bye.